Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Movies That Make Us. I'm Jake. I'm Tracy. And I'm Val. And guys, we are, this is episode number 75. Wow. 75? 75. We are three quarters of the way to 100. Triple digits. Oh, us. On the way. Yay. So, it's put up with this this long, Val. What? Jake's put up with this this long. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think it's a little bit easier because we've been, like, virtual. But whether you like it or not, Jake, episode 100, we're going to do in person with each other, even if we have to sit like a table over here and a table mm-hmm. over here, you will have to yeah. endure us physically in person. I'd like to say, I mean, episode 100 should be like close to six months from now. So I'm hoping that we should be able to do it live, but I have no idea. I have no idea with the way the current climate, uh, global situation, whatever we want to call it. I have no idea. I think we need to do it at Disneyland, I think is what needs oh, to happen. Please. <laughs> I would I would love to. They did, speaking of Disneyland, they did announce their next D23 Expo. Yes, but it's not going to be did. until 2022, but September 9th through 11th, 2022. Nice. I sent a text to my wife with a picture of it saying we should go and start saving up now. She was sitting right next to me and has yet to respond. So I'm not sure what that means. But I don't think it's looking good for me. This is the thing about um, D23. If you're not a member, at least become a member um, and subscribe to D23 because you get a lot of discounts um, just to being a member of the group. But that convention is one of the craziest conventions I've heard. I have some people that have worked it. I have people that have gone and done panels. Um, I have yet to go yet because Sammy and I have wanted to go, but it was a little expensive. But also she has a crowd issue and it's way more crowded than people would think. And so, um, but she says the next time that she's ready to go. So if it's going to, cause they, they change it. It's not always in Anaheim. Yeah. They alternate between Um, Anaheim and Orlando, I think. Yeah. um, Well, there was also one in Chicago. Wasn't there one in Chicago? I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. There may have been. I don't think they do it. Oh, maybe that was celebration. Never mind. But but they also did Mm -hmm. one in Shanghai and I was like, let's go to that one. Mm. But we missed that. So now that it's going to be in Anaheim again, I think we're going to try in 2022 as well. Nice. Yeah. Well, rumors, are, rumors are the parks might open in California uh, first week of November. They're having okay. some issues with because like just opening downtown Disney the other day within five minutes yesterday, they're like, we're full. Sorry, go yeah. home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and I think it's hard. Because that whole area is hurting. I mean, it's not just Disney mm-hmm. employees. It's not. It's not just about opening the park for entertainment's sake. And we're. This is not a Disneyland podcast. I don't know why we're talking. You got me started on Disney. Disneyland. And I'm just gonna go. I'm just gonna yeah, go. We have time. It's fine. Yeah. But but you know, it's hurting the whole economy out there, and I think it's hard having them yeah. not open. And I think they've shown yeah. they have a model that works because Disney World has been open for a couple of months, going on three months. Yeah. yeah. And they haven't had, I don't think, I haven't heard of any outbreaks, major outbreaks that have been um, attached to Disney World. And I mean, yes, obviously Florida is struggling with stuff, but Disney World, it doesn't seem to be tied to that. So, I don't know. Yeah, cross our fingers. But... We are, but like I said, we are not talking about Disneyland for today's episode. <laughs> no, we're like the opposite of Disneyland maybe, topics today. We're going to go down a darker rabbit hole. Maybe yeah. we were in Minnie Mouse's dream just now. <laughs> that, that could be. That could be. I, I keep thinking we've got to be in somebody's bad dream this year. I'm sorry. It's mine. <laughs> You're the one to blame. I see. It's no, usually me. It's usually you. <laughs> We we are we are talking about speaking of dreams we are talking about Inception uh, and we'll probably talk about other things Christopher Nolan Tracy's so excited like Christopher Nolan is one of your favorites right we're up there you like him yes his early stuff more so but yeah. I like this movie a lot this is yeah this is probably one of the more enjoyable ones of his that I've seen I like the Prestige quite a bit and of course the Batman trilogy it's hard for me to count the Batman trilogy as Christopher Nolan films because yes he directed <laughs> them and obviously 
he's left his mark on the film and on the franchise, but it's not, it's not the same kind of story that he tells in things like Inception and the Prestige right. and Interstellar. No, I think that it's very Christopher Nolan because if you look at the other Batman movies, you can definitely tell who directed what Batman movies. Yeah, well, the yeah. characters may not originally be his, but I haven't seen the characters like those in the other movies. They're all very distinct when you have, you know, the Michael Keaton you know, movies with Batman, which was, um, it's the end of the Tim day Burton. for me, Tim Burton, which we yeah. talked about on, on our other Disney podcast the other day, but like, those are very distinctly Tim Burton, even though that he's not a, you know, he didn't create Batman, yeah. but you can tell. And so I think, That's I don't know, Tim Christopher, Christopher Nolan has this thing about his films that are very specifically colored. He has a definite coloration of each one of his films. And then the sound of his films um, are very specific to the film. And I think with his Batman series, though that the sound and the soundtrack and the way that he contoured those films with his own style was very, it's very appealing to me. I I, mm-hmm. I liked it a lot. So it's going to be interesting to make that comparison, Jake, when the new The Batman movie comes out. Yes. And yeah. like put those, like maybe we should talk about those after that comes out to see the down. differences. Um, because they're both very dark. They're darker stories. I mean, Batman's mm-hmm. dark in general. But Inception is probably other than the Batman trilogy, setting that aside, I think is one of my favorite films. I know you guys aren't a, fa- a fan of Dunkirk. I am. Um, I like Dunkirk. Um, it, I, yeah. I, I had a really bad experience in the theater with the sound mix. And that's oh, been okay. one of my issues with the last couple of his films. Yeah. Uh, I had Tenet, that with Tenant. Yeah. The, but the, I, I had major sound issues with Dunkirk. You know what, really though? just didn't. I saw Dunkirk in IMAX and didn't have any problem with it. And my friend Mike, who's on the the morning show with me, said that he saw Tenant in the IMAX theater and did not have the same sound problem as I did. So Mm -hmm. why why would he be mixing it so that it would be like that in a regular theater? So when he is mixing it, he is mixing it in the highest level fidelity sound that he can get on the best equipment. And he is always trying to push the theaters to upgrade their equipment to match the quality of his films. But the problem is, is that he, he muddies it and buries it, especially when it comes to key moments of dialogue. Yeah. Um, these last, these last couple of films, which I, 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 his stock has dropped with me, but yeah. inception I think is one of his high points for sure. Yeah. yeah I inception, agree. I think, is, is definitely one of his better films. And just to go back to Dunkirk real quick, it's not that I don't, or I'm not a fan of Dunkirk. It's just not a movie that you're going to sit down and watch over and over again for me, <laughs> for me. Like yeah. I, it was good and it was a good movie and it was a good story, but it wasn't one that yeah. I was like, okay, let's watch it again. Like, Hey, what, what should we do tonight? Let's have some fun. Let's watch Dunkirk. That seems like a fun, you See, know, I'm a weirdo. that is, that's fun for me, but I'm a weirdo. Well, and that's so. okay. And that, that's okay <laughs> for me. Like if yeah. I'm looking for no, a fun movie it. to put no, on. Yeah. Yeah. It. yeah. So, um, <laughs> see, for yeah. me, it, it was really hard for me to watch Inception again. Um, when really? it came out, I was in a different place in my life than I am now. And Inception, I was just so blown away by the way this movie was filmed and the sequencing and the story. And I, I was just like, this is fantastic. But Stepping aside outside of that, now that I have been really dealing with um, my mental health issues and going to therapy and part of my issue is sleep and dreaming, this film is very hard for me to watch. And I didn't realize this before um, until I went to watch it a couple of months ago because I'm sitting at home and I'm like, oh, I really liked that movie. And then I turned it on and and like five to six minutes in, I was like, I can't watch this movie. And then I did watch it again yesterday, but I had to like sandwich it with, um, you know, some fun things because it it really triggered me that things that it didn't, it hadn't done before. And I, I, now I see it in a different light and I'm wondering if now I'm wondering how I thought of like, I used to think about it like this and now I think about it like this and neither of them are wrong, but it's just so intricate wow. 
my brain just keeps spinning and it's so cool this film yeah so your brain is like the top yes <laughs> assuming gonna... the top is still spinning because it might not be spinning <laughs> which we need to get into yeah, yeah, well, of course, we'll talk about the top. <laughs> we'll talk about the top. <laughs> Which, if you haven't seen Inception, you probably shouldn't be here for that part of the discussion. But or any of this <laughs> any episode, of it, really. back, go watch the movie, come back. That's what we always tell people. Go. We're like, we've talked about being like a book club for movies. So like any book club, you've got to read the book before you come to book club. Like, you've got to watch the movie before you come to our show. I know some people have mentioned, though, that they've watched or listened to our show for movies that they never thought they would watch before, but they got our feedback and then they went and watched them. So I'm not saying there's a bad way to do it, but if you want to join in on the conversation, maybe, you know, watch it first, but it's up to you. Yeah. 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 So, oh, go ahead, Tracy. It sounded like you were going to say something. Did you? No, no, no. Go ahead. Okay. All right. So let's talk about Inception. It's very different. I think, I, I don't know. There's a lot. I can't think of a movie out there that's like Inception. It's kind of its own thing. It's just very different. The story's very different. The style uh, is incredible. The visuals are incredible. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's hard to think of a movie that even compares to what Inception is. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I yeah, don't know. he based it, and the funny thing is, is he based it off a James Bond movie. It okay. was inspired by On Her Majesty's Secret Service, which is his favorite Bond Really? Film. That's why huh. we have this uh, whole episode at the end with the snow. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a direct homage to In Her Majesty's Secret Service. I had no idea. So Thank he said so. that this is basically his James Bond film, although I think Tenet kind of is as well. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting to think of it that way because – it really is if you if you peel away everything else it really is like a James Bond film or like a spy movie because mm-hmm. there's a lot of action sequences there's a lot of intrigue but then it's in typical Christopher Nolan fashion it's wrapped up in a completely different package than what you would normally see a spy film as it's just not right straightforward right i mean mm-hmm. there's plenty of action sequences but then you find it's all in somebody's head the whole time Right. Yeah, like seven people. I like it because you guys know how I feel about Quentin Tarantino. Like I respect his filmmaking, but I usually am just not a fan of watching his films. And I feel like Christopher Nolan did what I love about Tarantino's work here is that he pushed the envelope of what he thought um, an American audience could follow. And he pushed us and he pushed us and he challenged us, but actually in a format setting that I enjoy um, just because I'm not into the certain amount of violence and stuff that Tarantino does. I just, I, right. I'm not a huge fan of that, but again, I am, I respect the way he pushes his audience and his filmmaking techniques. Um, mm-hmm. and this film, it's very much like you guys say James Bond, but I say like mission impossible because there yeah. is such a crew of side characters that are so important to this team and how things happen. And, um, you're rooting for so many different people, but then at the same time, you're questioning every single one of them, including the main characters, you know, which, which your brain just does not shut off the whole time you're watching this film. Right. Well, and I, I I like this one because it is a lot of Christopher Nolan's crazy scientific thoughts and ideas and theories and intellectualism, but yet told in a way that is still accessible for mainstream audiences and I don't think he succeeded with that with Tenet. I, I don't think he explains the rules of the world of Tenet as well as he explains it in Inception. In Inception, we know that there's dreams. We know that the, what the totems do, um, the dreams within the dreams. We know how these rules work so we can follow along with the story. Um, and so to me, that this is the marriage of the, of the entertainment factor plus his intellectual leanings. Yeah, it's I love how much action it is, but like you said Tracy, it's so intellectual. I feel like, you know, like the MCU has the time heist and Inception has the mind heist. Like they go <laughs> into people's minds and they steal. Like they are mind burglars, you know, and it's right. So crazy to think about that. Okay, we are going to create this technology. We're going to put a team together. We're going to find some of the most important people in the world. And we are going to get into their thoughts and their brains. And we are going to steal what's most important to them. And um, it's, you know, it's 
a dream, like you said, a dream within a dream within a dream, which like as a regular human, like those are the dreams we hate because you think you're awake <laughs> and then you're not awake. And then you think you're awake again. And then you're not awake. <laughs> it's so great. <laughs> so we have a comment from Facebook that I'm going to put up here real quick because I think we do need to talk about it at some point. But my favorite part, according to Rachel Robison, is the soundtrack, which is the most streamed film score on Spotify, BT Dubs. Oh, okay. By the way, for all, all of you that may not be hip to the lingo, I am because I've got kids. So I know what <laughs> BT Dubs is all about. I'm not that's on the Spotify, so that's cool. That's cool to know. That's an interesting fact. I didn't know it was the most streamed, but Hans Zimmer did the soundtrack or did the score mm -hmm. uh, for the film. And of course, I love that a good film score is going to heighten the movie and, and make it better, right? And I think right. that Hans Zimmer does that with Inception. I think it's incredible. What do you guys think of the music? Oh yeah, I mean Hans Zimmer. If you're gonna, if you're not gonna have John Williams, you know, you're gonna have Hans Zimmer, and he. He is very much a storyteller, but he never overplays the story, which is great because sometimes mm -hmm. you'll have soundtracks that overwhelm you. And this is where I think why I like this movie out of all of his movies um, other than the Batman films, because it is subtle, but it is constant. And so you you are very much rushing with the music, which with an action film, with a suspense mm -hmm. film, you should. But then it comes back when you need to have those moments of reflection in the film, which I think in Tenant, it was just a constant like hitting my head against the music. And I mm -hmm. hated it. But Hans Zimmer, and he fights also for the way he wants his music to be heard. And so I'm sure this was more of a collaboration than it usually is with um, him and his, you know, musicians and the people that does his scores. Hans Zimmer doesn't let you just do whatever you want with his sound. Right. No. Was this the first example of uh, Christopher Nolan's now famous blah noise? I don't know. I would have to look that because up. Like the last, like the last three Google movies. That. Interstellar. I, <laughs> I got you. I got you, Jake. This is where I'm cool. I don't, I don't know about the BT dub, but this is what I can do for you. <laughs> yeah. Hans Zimmer and, and uh, Christopher Nolan have worked on quite a few films together. Um, Hans Zimmer also did see, I've got it pulled up here. He's done a ton. Dark right. Knight. Dark Knight. Dark Knight. He, he did Dunkirk. Um, Interstellar. Interstellar. Um, he also did Sherlock with Robert Downey Jr. Oh, um, yeah. So he's he's and and as Chantrice is pointing out on our comments right now, also did the score for The Lion King. Oh, that's he right, did. the he John did, Favreau he one. Did Gladiator as well. Gladiator, which yeah, is Gladiator, which is Gladiator is a good fantastic. One. I love Gladiator. For sure. Let's pull up Noel's comment. Yeah, I don't know, Noel. <laughs> I don't know who's asking is, is this the correct spelling. <laughs> now I, I wonder know. if it's in the shooting script. I probably <laughs> insert <laughs> here. Like, All right, well, we know that's gotta go in. So um yeah, the music is great. Obviously, Hans Zimmer, you, you really can't go wrong. Um, he is right up there with John Williams. Um, and I mean, he's just incredible and it's fun when you see directors kind of build that relationship and you can tell like, okay, this is a, I'm not surprised to know Hans Zimmer did this cause it's a Christopher Nolan film and they seem to tell the story together and they work really well together. It's like Tim Burton and Danny Elfman. Right. I mean, it, they just go together like two peas in a pod. Like chocolate and peanut butter. Yes. Which is way better than peas in a pod. Why do I keep using that? <laughs> You're trying to eat help, Let you. Me help you. Yeah, that's it. Let me help. That's that's that's, that's what it is. Even in your comments, you're trying to be more healthy. The practical effects from Rachel Robinson, who is I, yes. I don't know, we probably should have just had her be on the show with us. She's that's good. True. She's got a lot of a lot of great comments tonight, but. Speaking of the shooting script, we got to talk about Nolan's practical effects. Um, yeah, how much of the effects in this were practical as opposed to computer generated? 
a lot of this. Just about everything was practical. My favorite, and I think that there's a YouTube video on this because I remember looking it up um, a couple of years after the movie came out and there was more stuff on YouTube. I watched the movie again. And when they have the um, van go off and into the water, um, I believe that is a studio effect still, but they're when they're in the van, but they do actually sink a van. Yes. Um, but the water scene, they're obviously on a set in there, but it's, but they, they had some te- technical difficulties actually with the seat belts. If I'm not, um, if I'm getting this, cause I, it's been a long time since I watched this YouTube video. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have to practice those things as stunts because when you put water mm-hmm. with mechanics and then you're trying to shoot in this very small area, um, there were some spiky moments there. Yeah. Um, and I love it when directors actually use practical effects over special effects. Well, and yeah. like the, the avalanche in the level three dream, um, when they're going against the base in the snow, a lot of that was model work and they would mm-hmm. collapse um, fake snow over the model that was up to scale and just did uh, in-camera effects to make it look bigger, a la um, what Lucas did with a lot of the Star Wars films. Yeah. Um, they even built the revolving hallway, which I think is amazing. Yes. That like they was really built cool. that. Um, yeah. And Jordan goes to Jordan Gordon, Joseph Levitt. Joseph Hi. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> He did all of his fight scenes except for one spot, if I remember correctly. Yeah. We'll just call him Robin. It's easier to remember. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) That was a good one. Um, I like that. I I like the practical effects. I think it just adds a little bit extra weight, a little bit more realism to the film. Um, And... Like you can almost feel the difference. And I think we've come a long way with CGI and CGI effects are the way of the future. And obviously there's budgetary concerns and constraints and things like that, that lend themselves to CGI effects. But when you can do practical effects, it just, it makes a big difference Mm -hmm. and you can feel the difference. Well, and I think in a movie like this where you've got so many, um, you know, CGI moments, like when you're in the the brains inside the cities where they're expanding and things are happening to have a mixture of those practical effects to still keep your audience grounded in what's going on is what he really balanced that well with this film, because, you know, there are some movies that are just, I'm in awe of them. Like there were, I, I love Dr. Strange, but sometimes it got to the point where it was a little too much for me Mm -hmm. on the, the effects that I was like, okay, like I need to step out of this. And I think another one of those um, was the newest Spider-Man movie um, where they have like 25 minutes of just these special effects. And I needed to step out. Yes. So I think what Christopher <laughs> Nolan did with this film is he, it wasn't, it was a really good mixture of, okay, it's real. It's not real. It's real. And that was, I think a, also a part of the movie and, what he was trying to are we is it real right now or is that not did they really do that did they not it was just all of, mm-hmm. he just had us mm-hmm. questioning the entire time yeah like, to everything yeah uh and i do think that that adds to it for sure um let's talk about the cast in this film because i think it's one of the best casts probably in i mean within any film for the last 10 15 years i can't mm-hmm. think of I mean, you look at who you've got in there. You've got Leonardo DiCaprio, who obviously, I mean, he's he's all right. I mean, he's pretty good. <laughs> he's done some stuff. Um, you've got Robin or Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Um, and then, oh, man, now I'm blinking on her name. What is her name? You have Ellen Page. Yes, Ellen Page. Page. Yeah, I couldn't remember because it's such a weird name, Ellen Page. <laughs> yeah, Ellen Page. What I love about what he does with his films is he'll always have like one or two people that you know, right? and then he'll have a whole bunch of faces of people that you know you know, but you're not sure, like you don't know their names, but you like them, and then they end up being bigger stars. Like Ellen Page at the time had been a couple of things, Tom Hardy had been in a couple of things, and he's used Tom Hardy in, you know, um, other films, but there's a bunch of this back cast that you're just loving. And then he throws Michael Caine in there, which is great. Um, and I, 
yeah, I think he just did such a great cast with this because in every different scene or dream, somebody would pop up and you're like, I love that guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's got to have Michael Caine. Michael Caine is like his good yeah. luck charm. Yeah. I don't know but what Ellen he's going to do. She blew me away. In she was film. great. Like, this might be my favorite role of hers. Yeah. What a great juxtaposition um, with, I think, Leo and her. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. She plays very, very well opposite him and um, gives us a very different flavor than than what he gives us to the, in the film. Um, I think she's yeah. Ellen Page is one of those like she's just quietly really, really good as an mm -hmm. actor. Like you kind of see her on film and like, you just know you're always going to get a really good solid performance out of her. And you don't necessarily always think of her top of your list for like an actress or, or for a role. But when she's there, she's really, really good. Like I love what she's doing right now in umbrella Academy and um, just all sorts of stuff that she's been in. She's just a solid, good actress. Yeah. A little underappreciated. Yeah. Well, and he could have, like at the time, like Shalise Theron was big at the time, you know, like there was all these big Hollywood actresses that he could have cast opposite of Leo to, to bring more money at the box office or whatever, you know, but I think it wouldn't have been the same having someone that was so dynamic. Like you said, Jake, she is this quiet brilliance, mm -hmm. um, but she also looks very um, just passive. And so we, it, I think he did it on purpose where we look at her and we just tend to um, think, okay, there's, this is going to be kind of a quiet person. There's not going to be a whole lot of power that comes from her. And then it's all, she basically saves him. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, so it's this unexpected um, power that she brings to this role. And if you would have had somebody that you'd seen do that before, or that is a little more powerful, um, you know, in essence, I guess I can say on screen, mm -hmm. um, then I don't think we would have gotten, we would have felt the same about the characters or the story. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, and I think it's interesting because, um, Leo was the only person that, um, no one wanted. Um, he wrote this in mind for him and said, that's the guy I want to go after. He approached Kate Winslet to play mall originally, but she hmm. said she couldn't see herself oh, wow. in that role. So she turned it down. I would have yeah, a hard time seeing her as small. She's yeah. a tremendous Marianne, actress, but. Yeah. Marion, do you say it? Cotillard? I don't ever Cotillard? say her last name right. I, 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 I'm not sure. I don't know. I'm terrible with French accents. Cotillard? Yeah. I, it's French. I don't know. She is beautiful. And at the time, I hadn't seen her in much. Like, again, she was recognizable. But she was she, in Amelie. In this role, but I think that was about it. Yeah, I don't, and I don't know that I had seen that yet. Mm. Um, she in this role is just haunting to me. Yeah. Her look, her accent, the way that she is so emotional and powerful at the same time. I don't think a Kate Winslet, I'm glad that she saw that that wasn't for her because I couldn't see anyone but Marion playing this role. I mean, it just haunts me. It gives me goosebumps. It's so haunting. Yeah. So, Jake, I think this is an interesting point. When I was doing a little bit of research for the film, I had heard this. I had heard this mostly as a, this is like someone's opinion, but according to this article, um, Christopher Nolan described to Entertainment Weekly the roles of the Inception team are similar to the roles used in filmmaking. Cobb is the director, Arthur's the producer, Ariadne is the production designer, Eames is the actor, Saito is the studio and Fisher is the audience. Yep. So I'd heard that before, but it's interesting to hear that come from Nolan. Cause he doesn't really talk about his films much. No, he doesn't. Um, I, we've all been on uh, matinee heroes at some point or another. Right. And, and I think um, Tracy, I know you were on to talk about inception with them. I missed um, that episode though. Yeah. What's that? You, I wasn't able to make that episode. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, I, I was on the one with the prestige and Alan Cerny talks about this, uh, that supposedly, you know, the prestige is also about making films um, from a certain perspective and everything. So I would definitely recommend checking out our friends, matinee heroes and, and checking out their episodes. 
on Christopher Nolan in particular, uh, the prestige, uh, where Alan Cerny talks about that, but, um, okay. So Christopher Nolan is brilliant, a great storyteller. And I, I always have a hard time criticizing anybody who's obviously way more successful than I'm ever going to be a film director. That's what um, we're so here I, to do. Yes. <laughs> but to me, I feel like this has been my struggle with Christopher Nolan as of late. Like, with some of his earlier stuff, you know, it was very creative. It was very quirky, but now it seems like he's established and he's established as being this really deep, weird storyteller. And so he's got this air about him of like his poop doesn't smell bad. And sometimes I, I feel like, what's that? Tenant was arrogant. Yeah. I, I agree with that. Yeah. Tenant came across to me as I'm going to do what I want to do and screw everybody else. Yeah. And like the prestige when he talks about, or when they talk about it being about filmmaking, it's about, you know, the, these two sides of one that's selling out for the show as a filmmaker and one who, who doesn't and, and Nolan kind of struggling with those two sides of himself sometimes. Um, and so to hear that inception is all about making films and about him making films, like it just doesn't surprise me that all of his movies are actually really just about him. I could see that. I could see that. And it's interesting too, because he writes a lot with his brother, Jonah Nolan and Jonah. Um, he, 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 from all accounts is even more kind of in his own headspace than Christopher is. Oh, interesting. Um, he's the showrunner for Westworld. And if you watch Westworld, the first season was really interesting and tight and concise. And then they just drifted. And now in, in season three, it's a completely different show than, than season one. Yeah. Um, he did the like divergence, I think was the, the film with Johnny Depp where he's mm -hmm. uploading his consciousness. Um, that was a Jonah Nolan as well. Um, so I, I, I used to think Christopher like had the same ideas and big ideas and creative ideas that Jonah had. And those two working together came up with some really interesting stuff. Mm -hmm. But Christopher kept it um, accessible and entertaining. And I feel like the last couple of films, he's, he's lost that. I'm not a huge Interstellar fan either. Yeah. I and, enjoyed Interstellar. And Rachel, we know that this is your favorite movie of all time. <laughs> in your comment. And, and we don't want you to feel like we're downing this movie because it is a really good movie. No, but this movie but is fantastic. What Christopher Nolan has done since then. I mean, and even with the whole Tenet thing and how long it took I, I get that we are in this unprecedented time as far as movies are, are concerned and being released in theaters and really as far as everything's concerned. And so I get it. But the fact that he would not let it go to digital and it right. had to get a theater, a theatrical release. And he, he and fought even like drive -ins. Well, I mean, Black Widow's being pushed off again, too. So, I mean, we can. Yeah, but that, that feels like it's more of a studio decision than it is. Like, I feel like with Tenet, it was more of a, like, Christopher Nolan, this is, like, you can't release my art. That is exactly it. The digital streaming before it goes to the theater. Whereas I think Black Widow is more Disney's, like, look, we are not making the money this year that we thought we were on anything, so we need to hold off. And and, and I don't know that either side is right. I'm not trying to right, right. pass judgment, but it's just an interesting, it's been an interesting year for Christopher Nolan because Tenet, it, and I think that that led a lot of people that went to go see Tenet to be a little disappointed because it was like when somebody's like, you can't see this on the small screen, you have to go see it on the big screen. And then you go see it. It is hard for anything to live up to those kind of expectations. Right. Well, and, yeah. and he really held the Warner Brothers uh, team, their feet to the fire. He was they very much wanted to either postpone or go digital. Um, they even tried to get him to, to release it for drive in theaters and he wouldn't even do that. Um, he was insisting it that this film had to be seen on the big screen. Um, yeah. And as a result, the media started writing up this movie as the savior for the cinemas. This movie's right. going to come out and the, all the, the movie theaters are going to make all this money. And this is going to be, everybody's coming back from COVID and it, it just didn't work that way because scientifically it just wasn't feasible. Yeah. But yeah, I, I do I do have some issues with him insisting on this being only released um, in theaters. I felt like that was not the right call. 
Yeah. And and don't get me wrong. I'm not one. I don't want to see movie theaters go away. I don't want everything to go straight to digital. Right. And that that's the future of going to movies. But I think this year you almost, I mean, it's just so hard. This year is just so, so different, but Everything's I want movie to be around. I love movie I would have liked I would have liked Mulan way more if it was in a theater, but that's a yeah. conversation because I have a lot of problems with that film. But I do mm-hmm. think it was, and we did it on a screen in my backyard. Like we tried to make yeah. it bigger. But the sound was just that movie was meant to be on a big screen. Um, and so I get why Christopher Nolan would fight to have something like that, because if I would have watched that just on my TV, I think I would have been more lost than I was in the theater. Yeah. But it really like I want to go see it again now in the IMAX just to see if it's any different, because yeah. I feel like there's a good movie rolled under all of that freaking gummy sound mm-hmm. that he put over his amazing actors. But Inception for me um there was some brilliant brilliant moments in inception that were quiet moments Mm -hmm. of course like we get to the ending of the film and what everybody thinks but leading up to the ending and where it when we get inside of his brain and we go to all of these different floors and the part that really resonates me with me is when you get to the basement that Mm. you know she's down there she's down there in the basement of his mind because he's tried to push her down and push her down and push her down and i'm like that's where it hits me as a person with mental health issues because that's what we do it's so true take the hurt and the love of our life and we push it down and we don't want anybody to get down there. And the elevator even looks different when you get down there. And every time he's on screen in a dream with his wife, the coloring is so rich mm-hmm. and so beautiful. It's so old Hollywood and so warm that you want him to be there because every time he's outside of that place, the colors are so, you know, you get a lot of blue and heart. Yeah. yeah and it's just so then you get to this warm place and i love those moments that he has with her but at the same time they're the most toxic moments for him because they ruin him and it's his constant fight with himself like can i let her go or do i go be with her and i just again there's these whether it's he's writing about freaking filmmaking or not like this <laughs> movie is so great like i would love to like be on a panel or watch a panel about um like therapists that deal with mental illness like really break this film down on how it is mm-hmm. like a person's brain that has mental illness that would be fascinating i don't, know. I don't obviously know what he intended but for me I see that way more now than when I used, I, I never saw that back in the day when it first came out. So yeah, mm-hmm. there's a, yeah. there's a, there was a pretty good um, article about the inception and psychology and mm-hmm. the psychological take on it, but it got a little too clinical for me at times where I'm like, I have no idea what they're talking about. This yeah. is way smarter than I am. Regular people words, please. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's the hard t- hard thing with reading some of that stuff. It's like I don't know what they're talking about anymore. But it, I'm sure it's smart. <laughs> but if you can remember like lines and phrases from it, then it like makes you sound really smart. If you want to, and I can go, you know, in this article in Psychology Today. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then you Listen take your glasses off and you say, "Ah, like bah." Ah, yes. <laughs> These words like deep psychosis and no, I'm just um, but Leonardo DiCaprio, like for him to fight for him to be in this role, yeah. I think was such a good role for Leo because he at the time was trying to get away from you know the roles that he was getting and he was pushing himself. I think sometimes a little too far um of what i wanted to see him and i thought this was such a great place for him this Mm -hmm. role in this film um was such a good place for him and um he did a great job i think this is probably my favorite yeah 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 he he's he's very good in this film and i think it it's it is probably one of my favorites as well tracy of of his roles um I don't know that I'm the biggest Leo fan in the world. I can recognize his talent, but this is probably one of, one of his movies that I've seen that I really enjoy quite a bit. So I, 
think it was really well played. It was and refreshing to see him just be an actor because he was trying to break out of all these roles. So he was doing like Blood Diamond and he's got an accent in that film and it's right. just super, mm -hmm. you know, it's on over here or, you know, and then he did Django, which is, I mean, amazing. But again, he's, you know, he had to be like a character actor. Whereas this, you know, it's just really good writing. You know, he is this character that I feel like he hadn't ever played before. And I like those other films. Don't get me wrong. Right. Um, uh, but I just, it was refreshing to see him not have to go so far, but really he, it seemed so simple and effortless, but I, I know it wasn't. Sometimes right. that's the hardest one or the ones that look like, right. Well, this didn't seem like a hard for him, you know, but it, you know, it took a lot to make this believable. Cause this like pitch this film, oh, it's yeah. like freaking, it's a hokey pitch. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Well, I think it's, I think it's interesting too because he always makes his actors like read it on the studio set in his office and they can't take copies. So they only get like one shot at it and then he'll send them like snippets that they have to memorize before they shoot. But he's oh, wow. really super protective with his script. So I can only imagine reading that for the first time and going, wait, what? <laughs> I'm supposed to do what? Yeah. Well, yeah. And then not wrapping up the end of a movie. That's usually like the biggest, like studios don't like it when you leave the end of a movie or the end of a big TV mm -hmm. series where you haven't wrapped it up in a big pretty bow. And Nolan, I mean, he pushed it all the way to the edge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's still people that are talking and, and have been probably for the last 10 years straight, like nonstop. I mean, seriously, <laughs> one conversation going on about whether the top is, is spinning or it's not. And we don't ever, and, and I don't think Nolan has spoken. I don't think he has said, he has not. We, we don't know. We don't know. It's, it's I'll, interesting in the, in the shooting script, it was supposed to be a fade out, but in the, in the final film, he just does a hard cut. Um, and the music cuts out too, which I think is very interesting. And mm -hmm. some people have theorized that that's like you waking up from a dream. So it's almost like he's waking up um, mm -hmm. from it right at that moment. But, um, but he's never publicly talked about it and I don't think he ever will. Yeah. Yeah. He's not, he's not going to JJ Abrams this and tell us what, <laughs> what Finn was really going to say to Ray. Like, well, I, he'll tell you the backstory of everything in a comic book. Yeah. <laughs> Or a novel or something. Or something. That's right. <laughs> oh, you want to know? We won't explain that in the film. <laughs> yeah. Let's leave it out of the film. Uh, I mean, who just watches Star Wars movies and doesn't read everything about them? I mean, <laughs> nobody. Um, that is Done. definitely a conversation for another Done. time. I know. I, every, I think there, most of the people that go to Star Wars movies, like nobody. Okay. When something as mainstream as like <laughs> a Batman movie or a Star Wars movie or a Marvel movie, you cannot make it so that people can't just come in and enjoy the movie and they've got to go back and read back issues of whatever or this novel or that. You need to find a way to include the audience. Um, but anyway, again, that's oh, a conversation for a totally different time. And I'm sorry. Yeah. So, we, should, we should have that conversation though. Like, I would love that. Yeah. You know, yeah. because. Yeah. That's, so what that's is, what's good... your guys' take on the top? I would like to think that that is his reality and that that's not, and that that's real for him because I want him to have that. But unfortunately, mm -hmm. I don't think it's real. I don't think, I think his life now is exact, is his job. Um, and he does there. I don't think that he has those things that he wanted. Do you um, think he's his kids and his dad? And I, I think that's all in a different pocket of his brain that he mm -hmm. visits. Um, you don't think maybe he's so far down that he's stuck in that level now? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Oh. Is I, I don't think that that's real. I don't think his kids are real. I don't yeah. think that place is real. Mm -hmm. I think that's the place that that he again pushed down, but not as far as his hurt, but that's the place that he would visit when he needed 
you know, to, to have that, but, and maybe he's stuck there now, but yeah, I, I, unfortunately, I don't think it's his reality. Yeah. I, I, I agree that I think everything presented in the film makes it seem like that's the case that he's just so far down and that, that, that is his reality. And so that makes me think that it probably is all real and not the case that he's just pushed it all deep down. Cause then that would be how I would mess with people. If I was making a film like this, like I would point <laughs> everything to that and then be like, Nope, no, he's got <laughs> her at home and he's got the perfect happy ending and everything's fine. That's, I don't know. I think everything points to it not being the case. Personally, I agree with that. I, so, I would, I'm Val. I would like it to be, but I don't think that it is. And I, but, but in a way, I think it's almost like he's so far down and he's going to be in that level for so long. He's almost going to have an eternity with his kids and with his family because he's not going to be able to come back up, which is that that bad of a thing. And then, then, uh, Joseph Gordon Levitt's going to just find him one day sitting on a bench as an old man. <laughs> and Tom Hardy's going to be like, go ahead. Go, go ahead. And, let's, let's bump him. I'll be fine. Yeah. Um, um, <laughs> no, not bump him. <laughs> well, that's how they get up the levels. Yeah. You got to give him the bump. I meant it was like the end of, of end game. He's going to go over. It's old man cap sitting on the bench. Oh, like somebody, he's I, gonna pull the top like out of his bag instead of his shield. Him. Sorry, I feel, like, I feel like somebody needs to bump 2020. Like the next time somebody sees <laughs> me, just bump me, bump me as hard as you can, but like don't touch me with your actual hands and have a mask on, but like bump me really hard because I feel like that's what we need. Push me into some water. We need a and... Christopher Nolan bump. Yeah. Now that we're all thankful for the things that we used to have, and we're going to stop being jerks, we've, we've learned what we needed out. to learn. Yep. I don't think we all have learned. I don't think we all. Have <laughs> no, unfortunately not. Seven hundred, seven hundred and fifty. I'm just going to say that, and we'll walk away. Um, yeah. um, <laughs> so Rachel has a question for us all, and Noel's already answered this in the comments, but I wanted to get your guys' take. Uh, she says, "I'm pretty sure there was supposed to be a sequel to Inception." Do you think Tenet ended up being that sequel? I didn't know. I didn't think they were tied together at all. Um, but actually, I'm pretty sure that Tenet's going to have a prequel. Um, so I don't think I don't think, and I haven't done enough research on this, but just from what I do know about Tenet, mm -hmm. um, but about what I've read, is I don't think that Tenet is the sequel to Inception. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know how those worlds, those are pretty far apart, but I, I could see how you would take this technology they're, they're, and make it the technology for sure. Right. Um, but they're kind I of, know that it's... they're kind of similar in theme and execution. They're almost kind of like brother films at that point, but I don't think that there's a direct correlation. Yeah. I mean, they have more in common than. Well. I think there are two movies in between that would get you from this you know, to this, mm -hmm. but I think there would have been more, um, there would have been a, a little more going on in Tenant because Inception actually had kind of a cooler um, outlook of what you could do with the world around you. Right. And so I, I would think that even though it's now more in reality in Tenant, that they would have utilized that a little bit more if it was, but I know that Tenant's going to have a prequel, which I'm excited about. I haven't heard because that. I do. I want it. I want to know a little bit more about Robert Pattinson's character and about how they met and when that actually, that relationship happened. Mm -hmm. um, you know, because if you have seen Tenant, you understand yeah. how they kind of tell you at the very end, how everything was kicked forward. Um, and so I would like to understand it a little bit more. So I heard that there was going to be a prequel to the film, but again, that's, I don't, it's 2020. It could all be lies. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, so funny well, story heard, though. Tenet didn't I, do I that read, right at the box office, so they probably won't do a prequel now. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't know if they're going to factor that in at all. Well, um, I read an interview with Robert Pattinson when he was promoting Tenet, and uh, he got offered to audition for the Batman while filming Tenet. And he went up. He's like, "How do I tell Christopher Nolan I need to take a day off of his film?" to go audition for this other film in a, in a picture that he's already done kind of, cause he's done a Batman film. 
So right. he said that he went up to him and he lied. He said, I've got a family emergency. Uh, I got to take off. And he said, for Nolan looked at him and said, you're auditioning for Batman, aren't you? He's like, <laughs> yeah. And he's like, how'd you know? And he's like, it's a small town. Word gets yeah. around. The auditions are happening. So yeah. you have my blessing. Go audition. <laughs> yeah. I'm excited That's to see funny. it. I really am. But I, but I think he's he's an interesting director, too, because he almost always is, like, dressed up on his film sets. He'll be wearing, like, a dress shirt and a vest. And he, he said that it's because he has so much respect for cinema that he wants mm-hmm. to be, like, dressed up for the job each day, which I think is interesting. I think it sounds pretentious, but that's you know. <laughs> Jake hates Christopher Nolan. He thinks he's a pretentious dick. Everybody tweet that. Yeah. And Send your I'm complaints sure, to podcast. Sure he'd be like, who's Jake? And then he'd move on with his very successful life and not even care. No, I, I think I was having this conversation with um my boyfriend last night, and we were talking about um, how in certain businesses, you need to be a certain kind of confident um, to be really good at your job. And I think when it comes to directors and people in entertainment, there is a certain amount of confidence. But I do think that there are moments when people like Christopher Nolan um, or, um, gosh, I was just talking about him, Django Unchained. Oh, Quentin Tarantino. Tarantino I think there's a point sorry you guys I'm so tired and I have a migraine like that I'm dealing with but um I, it's all foggy up there um Leo needs to get in there and kick whoever is out so that I can think. um but I think there's moments where these two directors and there are more I could we could sit here all day and talk about it where they're they can be pretentious to the point where sometimes they hurt their film and that's why you need a really good editor to kind yes. of help you out in the end. And I feel like if Tennant would have had an editor that um, Nolan would have listened to, I think that I wouldn't have felt like Tennant was so pretentious because I do like the story. But there was some of the best acting I've ever seen from some of these actors in this film. But you would never know because the sound was so loud um, and hitting me in the face so much that I was, if I was one of those actors, I would have been angry mm-hmm. at Christopher Nolan because Kenneth Brenna is like the best villain. This is one of oh, his, he was great. Like the best, his, and, and luckily most of the scenes that he was in, there wasn't a lot of background sound, but I didn't get to know a lot of these characters until the end, because I was just trying to get past the surface of sound. I was so angry and I wasn't even in the film. I just paid for the film. Yeah. I just needed to go see it. So I do think that that there is a a bit of pretentiousness. Is that a word? Um, When you get into some of these directors and some of these films. I'm I'm very Um, interested to see his next film because if, is he going to continue down this path or is he going to pull back and listen to what people are saying? Because pretty much universally, the feedback has been the last couple of movies, the sound mix has been really rough. So does he continue yeah. to say I'm an artist and I'll do what I want or no, I think he's going to continue to tell movie theaters to get a better sound system. So that the sound well, of his movies sound better. That's true. And maybe you should just, you know, say this is, you know, an IMAX yeah. theater movie. Mm-hmm. This is an IMAX experience. If I would have known that I would have bought the tickets to the IMAX and I would have yeah. go, gone and see it in the IMAX if I would have known because I wasn't as bombarded in Dunkirk. When I go to see a war film, I just assume that there's going to be a lot of noise and it kind of, I didn't have that big of a problem except for um, you couldn't really hear Tom, uh, Tom Hardy a lot, but right. he mumbles in most of his anyway. So I just thought it was him. Yeah. Um, but... So, so in commenting on, dressing the way he does he, he says, dress for the job you want chantrice that's good advice except it did not work out for me when i showed up in a starfleet uniform to my job did not work out i so, think that that is a that's a poor reflection on your job not on you perhaps, perhaps. <laughs> so you know showing up your first day saying well so you said dress for the job i want i want to be a starfleet captain and they said well we appreciate you stopping by. We'll let you know. <laughs> I thought I was already tired, but it was a whole thing. When they let me back into the studio, should I just wear this? <laughs> Perfect. That's kind of creepy. 
Well, yeah, I know. Ma- yeah, that <laughs> masks are required. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's give, this, want, let's give this film a grade. Um, what? Let's start with you, Tracy. Uh, I'm going to go A on this one. Um, to me, this is Christopher Nolan's one of his best. This and The Prestige, um, to me, are his two best films. Um, right below that would be The Dark Knight. Right below that, Batman Begins, Memento, um, some of those others. Like I said earlier, I think this is his intellectualism meets populism. Um, it's a it's a heady mix of science fiction, but yet it's still accessible. It's still entertaining. It holds up really well. Mm-hmm. The effects hold up very, very well. Um, there's no real dating or aging in that. The performances are great. The score is great. The editing is fantastic. The thought behind it is intriguing. Uh, this is a solid A for me. All right. Val? Um, I give it a B plus. I think it's super creative. I think it definitely makes you think. Um, I love visually. It's fantastic. It messes with my, I won't say the square word. It messes with my stuff. Um, <laughs> and, um, but there are, there are some things about it that make it so that I can't watch it all the time. And you guys know that I only give A's to movies mm-hmm. that I can watch over and over or that supersede um, other films. I do think it was super creative. I do think it's one of his best. But for me, I could watch Dark Knight over this movie mm-hmm. all the time. Like if you told me which one of these movies do you want to watch right now, I would say Dark Knight every time. Not that I don't love Inception. I think it's fantastic. It pushes the, the boundaries. Um, it's challenging. It's visually pleasing. The sound is phenomenal, but B plus for me. Yeah. I I think for me, it's a, it's a solid B. Um, I, I agree that it, it is more accessible than a lot of the other stuff that Nolan has done. And I think it's very entertaining. Um, I think it's something that you can watch um, multiple times, but I don't know that I want to. And that's part of the the problem. Like you can watch and get something new out of it every time. Um, but I think there's some stuff in the middle. You've got to slog through to get there. Um, I, I would say his two Batman films are, are better than this one. Uh, Batman begins and dark Knight. dark Knight rises. <sighs> yeah. It, it it just didn't do it for me. And I think there was a lot of reasons why dark Knight rises was the way it was. And I don't feel like your heart was in it. Yeah. And I just don't think, and I don't think all of the issues were his fault, but I do think dark Knight is one of the most perfect superhero films ever made. Um, And I, I agree Val. I could probably sit down and watch that one over and over again, as opposed to inception. And I like the prestige a lot, probably a little bit better than this one as well, but this is a really good movie still. And I, I mean, a B is not a bad grade. I'm not going to give it like mm-hmm. a C or a D, but this it's it's enjoyable. Um, I think if somebody were like, show me a Christopher Nolan movie, I'd probably start with this one and the prestige and say, this is kind of what Christopher, Christopher Nolan is about. Right. Um, right. And then they can go from there. So, but we want to know what you guys think. If you have feedback for us, for the show, you have suggestions for, an episode you'd like to see, or you want to tell me how wrong I am for giving this movie a B <laughs> instead of an A, Rachel, it's fine. Um, you can I got send your back, Rachel. Back to podcast at movies that make us.com. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, next week, we are going to be talking about searching for Bobby Fisher. We're looking for him. Maybe we'll have found him next week. We'll let you know. Did you print uh, the flyers? I, I posted them up, glued them up on the telephone poles. Um, so we'll see. I saw him on a milk carton. Maybe we'll find him. Um, and then after that, we'll look for Dory and Nemo. <laughs> wow. Um, Bravo, sir. That wasn't that great. It was, I appreciate the laugh though. That made me feel good. It made, that was a legit laugh. That was not yeah. just a courtesy laugh. <laughs> Well, I appreciate that, but you won't want to miss it. We will be back again next week uh, for your comments and your input and your feedback. Thank you so much for watching. Uh, If you are watching on YouTube, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. Hit like on this video, uh, hit the notifications button. So, you know, it's a little bell. You'll know when we go live and you'll know when new episodes are up. And we really appreciate that. And thank you so much. And we won't see you at the movies. Bye.
This has been a Stolen Droids Media Production.